Rich Roll Podcast. What's up, people? It's the podcast. We're back. Today, episode 20, we have Sid Garza Hillman coming on the show. Who is Sid Garza Hillman? Sid's a very cool guy, uh, a very diverse individual, multi-talented. He's a musician. He's an actor. He's a nutritionist. He's a philosopher king, and he is the author of the recently released manifesto called Approaching the Natural. It's actually called Approaching the Natural, a Health Manifesto. And it's a cool little book uh, that actually looks like a manifesto. It's a little paperback that you can stick in your back pocket. It's only like 160 pages. And it's sort of a plant-based nutrition primer. But more than that, uh, it's a it's a sort of comprehensive approach to living uh more in harmony with yourself and with your environment, uh, hence the title Approaching the Natural. So it hits on nutrition, but it also hits on uh, the body in its physical sense, how to move the body, how to be more in tune with your environment, how to dial yourself in mentally and spiritually so that you can live uh, a more fulfilling and happy existence. It's a cool little book. Um, I was lucky enough to get an advanced galley copy of it and just loved, uh, I loved it. It's very straightforward. It's easy to read. You can read it in a day. Uh, and it's chock full of very helpful, insightful information from Sid. So, uh, it was my honor to give him a blurb, which you can find on the back cover of the book. So, uh, that's, Hey, that's worth checking out the book right there just for that. Uh, because in addition to my blurb, it also has a foreword by Biz Stone, who is a co-founder of Twitter, also uh, a plant-based nutrition guy uh, who wrote the foreword and also gave Sid a blurb, which is pretty cool. So he's in good company with Biz Stone. Uh, and uh, again, I was proud to give him a blurb. I stand behind the book 100%. It's a cool book. And so when he was coming down here uh, – to do some book related stuff coming down to LA cause he lives up in Mendocino. He, he runs the, uh, he's head of the, the wellness center at the Stanford Inn. Um, actually I think it's called, it's called the Mendocino center for living well at the Stanford Inn. Um, so he doesn't live in LA, but I told him, you know, when you come to LA, you definitely got to do the podcast. So he's here. We're actually doing an event together on Wednesday night. And we talk about that in the interview. Um, but I'm glad to uh, have him here today to have him talk about his journey. I found it very insightful. Uh, and it's so much more than just plant-based nutrition. He's got a very refreshing and interesting perspective on life and uh, happiness in its holistic sense. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed. 
with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentus's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentus for yourself by going to livemomentous.com slash richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And without further ado, Sid Garza. All right, man. Thanks for making the trip up to the garage. You're welcome. How's it going, Sid? It's going well. Sid Garza Hillman in the uh, podcast HQ, the music garage turned, uh, I guess, uh, lean to sort of temporary podcasting village situation. Surrounded by instruments. That's right, man. So this could erupt at any yeah, second. Into it's a, a vault of creativity yeah, coming out of right. here, which is good. You got to stoke that all the time. Definitely. You're a musician, right? I am. What's the What's the story there? The um, Sid Garza Hillman Quartet. Well, it was the Sid Hillman. The Sid <laughs> Hillman. <laughs> yeah, the Sid Hillman Quartet. The Garza Hillman. Why no Garza for that? That was because the Sid Hillman um, existed before I was married, and then my wife is Garza, so we we both became Garza Hillman. Oh, I see. Yeah, interesting. So I was musician Sid Hillman prior to being married. Oh, uh, okay. So that's very um, progressive. 
Yeah, ahead of its time. I yeah. suffered from um, sexism early on because um, we, my wife and I got married and she went to the DMV and said, you know, I just got married and I want to change my name, you know, to from Garza to Garza Hillman. They were like, great, just, you know, sign here, boop. And so then I went in and did the same thing. They're like, oh, you, you need to. Different story for yeah, you. you yeah. This. And I was like, well, I just got you know, married with my wife. And, well, you need to file, you know, because I was a man. So I thought that was right. interesting. So. Yeah. Well, you can't, it, you know, men don't have a maiden name. I don't know if I've ever met any guy who changed his last name to put his wife's name in there. That's I have a friend in Mendocino who did the exact same, wow. exact, his last name is, is her name. Uh-huh. So, but anyway. Did you, uh, were you reared by uh, progressive parents? I mean, did you grow up in a, I have this, I have this <laughs> image of you. Well, you live in Mendocino and now. you've written this pretty progressive book. So I'm like, hey, maybe he grew up in a commune, you know. No, the opposite. <laughs> Northern oh, California. Yeah, like Air Force, was an Air Force fighter pilot and, uh, you know, a pilot his, at for Continental for 27 years. And, uh-huh. you know, I mean, not, not conservative, but not progressive by any stretch of the imagination. So did you guys move around a lot? A little bit. Uh, born in L.A. and then San Diego, Houston. And then um, I, at that point, was 18 and moved back to start UCLA. And my parents moved again to Atlanta, but I was already out of the house. I see. So California most of the time. Yeah, except for But your dad's a military guy? He was, yeah. He was 20 years in the Air Force, but he was, um, you know, post-active duty. He was a liaison officer, and then he worked as a pilot for Continental and then into management there. But he was with them for 27 years. Uh Uh-huh. So unlikely to spawn a, uh, a vegan yeah, child. Totally. Now he's a vegan. So yeah. He's vegan. Oh, he is really. <laughs> he was raised. Yeah, he was raised by a progressive son. I'll put it that way. Interesting. <laughs> so. so, how does that? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, with everything that I've been doing, and I still can't get my parents on board. Although my sister just started doing it this week. Oh. It's like, oh, I had to write a book and wait know, right? wait a full year. Before, you know? Yeah, my dad was like, uh, you know, what do I? And my mom eats extremely well. I don't think she's you know 100 percent vegan, but she's doing it really really well. And um, but he's a chronic asthmatic, and and um, and that's where I came to the whole picture of mm-hmm. nutrition in '92 was because I'm a chronic was a chronic asthmatic, and my asthma went away then, and his went away three years ago, and he's 75, and he's off prescription medication for the first time in 35 years. So wow, so 35 so, mile bike rides three days a week, you know, it's like interesting, uh, you know, unbelievable. So did you make this switch to plant based diet as a as a response to trying to address your asthma? Yeah. Oh, you did. I was handed specifically a book. for that. I was a um, personal assistant back in college during UCLA during my time at UCLA to Woody Harrelson and his now wife, whose name is Laura Louie. And uh-huh. um, I had just graduated in '91 and and um, was you know playing out as a musician and um, working at, in the audiovisual department of UCLA. And uh, <laughs> right, and um, they handed me a book and it was called Fit for Life. I'm sure you've heard of it. Right. I don't know. And um, and I read it, and I went, "Oh, what's going on there?" And so I changed uh, my diet. Then um, removed dairy was the first thing I did. My asthma went away almost. You know, it was, it was like mm-hmm. overnight in a way. It was within a month. You know, and I stopped using the inhaler, and I mm-hmm. haven't used it since. And um, I wasn't even 100% vegan back then. But then, just over the years, it kind of we'd cheat and you know go out for Mexican food at El Coyote and we would take like a prescription medication before dinner for allergies. Like, right. you know, and it was finally just like, this is, this is the dumbest thing in the world, you know? Right. And Cause you know, the impact of the foods you're eating are yeah. going to, are going to cause this asthmatic reaction in right. you and you're doing it anyway. Yeah. And congratulations. You're a human being. I know. Right. And the healthier you get, the more, 
of a reaction you get. You know, like if when you're eating it all crappy all the time, you sort of set that bar for yourself. And then right. when you start eating healthy, a little bit of dairy would just totally set me and, and Lisa off. You know, we'd wake up just feeling like we were, you know, got hit in the face. So. That's definitely the experience that, I, that I've had. Um, yeah, when you're eating like crap all the time, it doesn't really matter. You're just kind of on this low burn of not feeling so great all the time that you acclimate yourself to when you, the cleaner and cleaner you eat, then yeah, it's, you have this like hair trigger response to eating something that's like not quite right. I mean, I see it with Julie all the time. She'll, she'll have one taste of something and then she'll be like laying on the couch, you know, like, I can't handle that or whatever. It's, you know, yeah, it's kind of interesting that way. It is. But uh, don't think that that we're just going to gloss over the fact that you work for Woody Harrelson. Like I, I did that that was not lost on me, and I'm not going to let you leave here without telling me at least one or two Woody Harrelson stories. Okay, because I, then I would I'm not be doing to, my job. Well, I can tell you one right now. I I bought four hundred fifty dollars worth of underwear for him, and I'm sure made out of hemp. I'm sure he's no. This was like pre-hemp. Oh, yeah. he, I was just, I was just, I was like his. He was on Cheers at the time, and I was a. Uh, so this is way back. Soft, yeah, I was like yeah. 91. I was a sophomore in college, and, and um, my sister was friends with Laura, his, his wife, and, uh-huh. and they needed somebody in the office to help out and, you know, put autograph photos into envelopes and, you know, grunt work kind of right. stuff. And um, and so he would, I'd go on errands, you know, and and, uh, and so one of them was to go to Nordstrom's because he had gotten a hold of boxer briefs and liked them, and so, you know, I went there and... And called like, are these the ones? Yeah, buy buy everything they got. So I bought everything they got, and then it turned out it was the wrong stuff. And uh-huh. and, uh, and he kept them anyway. And, <laughs> and so, and so, <laughs> so I was like, uh, in fact, he was. I was trying to send the book to him. I couldn't get. I couldn't get. They were traveling around, right. and she was like, "I'm so sorry, we're on the road." But um, I kept saying to my sister, you know. I bought his damn underwear, like the least he could do. You He's know, like, is read my blurb. book. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or give me a blurb <laughs> or whatever. Blurb. Did you say 450 pairs? No, $450 worth. Four, oh, $450 worth. Yeah. Gotcha. Which, you know, back then. Right. Yeah, I would see him uh, show up from time to time in the, in a yoga class I would go to uh, in Santa Monica. But I haven't been in that class. In a long, I haven't seen him around in a long yeah, time. They but, live in Hawaii full time. Yeah, I think so. On the, on Maui, right? Like I on the eastern so. side of the I island? So, yeah. yeah, I haven't been to the house. I haven't seen either of them in years. But Interesting. My sister still talks to Laura. I didn't know that like all the way back in the Cheers days, he was, he was you know, rocking the vegan vibe. He was, I got to tell you, like they had their first kid um, and I was, you know, one of these people who were like, oh my God, like they can't do this vegan. You know, right, they're gonna kill their. Child. You got to talk into the mic Sorry. a little bit. Yeah, um, cool. they're gonna, you know, kill their child. You know, kill right. Their child. I still get that with my kids. They can be standing right next to me, looking perfectly healthy, and people act like I'm torturing them by not feeding mm-hmm. them animal protein. You know, um, you got to be really careful. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And um, everybody's a nutritionist, right? And and but I what back then I remember going just like, oh my god, that's shocking. You know, how can right. you have a? You're pregnant. You know, and right. um, take them to McDonald's and give them a happy meal yeah, or something. And, uh, and, um, well, at least a McDLT, but, and, and so because <laughs> the cool stays cool, you know, uh-huh. hot, hot stays hot. And then, right. um, but they were the first reason why, I mean, they were my first introduction into plant, plant-based. Uh-huh. I mean, they handed me the book, you know, and that was 20 years, 20 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. and I've been reading nutrition ever since. And I wouldn't just become a nutritionist until years later. Right. So you're in, uh, you're in LA, you graduate from UCLA, you're an assistant to Woody and his wife, and you're pursuing a musical career. I mean, was that the focus at the time? It was. I mean, I was assistant to them during college. Once I graduated, I worked uh-huh. in the audiovisual um, department there at, at UCLA. And um, uh, my whole goal uh, 
was music. And um, I was a philosophy major, which that's pretty much going to be what you do if you're a philosophy major. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so um, loved it. I mean, I love what I studied. And I'm, I'm convinced to this day that it kept me in school because I just was completely attached to that major. And um, that was the third major I declared. It was political science, then English, then philosophy, mm -hmm. and um, absolutely fell in love with it. Um, yeah, graduated and, and was playing. I mean, I just started playing. I was a, you know, we audiovisual services was kind of this funky department at UCLA, public sector kind of job, bunch of artists and musicians and writers and and songwriters and actors. And it was just this great little, you know, mecca of mm -hmm. art and creativity. It was a great place to be and, um, you know, decent job and, and uh, allowed me to do what I needed to do. And I did that until 95 when I started acting, just kind of fell into it, but then started mm -hmm. making a living at it. So then I quit at UCLA in 96 right. and I became a full-time actor after that. So what, tell me about the transition to acting. Like how did that occur? What happened? Um, this buddy of mine, Peter Mernick, who's uh, still an actor in LA and he gave my photo to his agent and um, my music photo. And uh, they called me in for a meeting and signed me. And and that doesn't for people who are listening out there that that's not the way Hollywood works. <laughs> I know. So I, don't I didn't know have to. What's going on? I mean, did the guy want to sleep with you or no? You know, what's maybe. happening? Here? I never asked. Actually, but uh, I would have um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. because he hooked me up. Of with course, agent, you but, would. Yeah, but, but he. Um, he, yeah, he did that, and he's a commercial actor, and um, he well, actually does you know film and TV too. But at the time, he was that was his commercial actor, and they signed me. And you know, I'd been performing for a few years and comfortable in front of a camera. And mm -hmm. uh, they called me. I got some calls on auditions, and and um, and I had actually had my Screen Actors Guild card by that time because another buddy had done an indie film, and I'd done the music for it. And he put me in a scene, mm -hmm. and um, and so I just get these auditions, and I start booking. You know, like. Mm -hmm. Kind of effortlessly, like effortlessly. commercial booking, yeah. or like television. And commercial you know? at this point, uh -huh. right? Just com commercials, Twix, you know, right. Zuzu, like all of a sudden there. And then I go, oh, it's kind of cool, you know. And I remember the first commercial I I booked was a Twix commercial, and you know, got paid less for the day than it cost me to join the Screen Actors Guild, you know. So mm -hmm. this is going to be the worst investment ever, you know, if I never work again. But then it started airing. I started getting residuals, and I started booking more jobs, booking more jobs, right. and all of a sudden I'm making a living. You know, and I got home one day and, and said to my wife, um, who had just quit her job as a producer for a, a motion graphics company to be to start her graphic design firm, like um, she had, like a month before, and I said, I, I think I'm gonna quit, you know, mm -hmm. UCLA, this like safe, totally secure job. Mm -hmm. um, I'm you know making a living acting. I want to pursue music, and 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 this is where I want to go. And um, and to this day, just was such a blessing because she just without a hesitation she just said we'll figure it out right and that was that it wasn't like well you should keep your job or anything she was like we'll figure it out mm -hmm. and i put in my notice and that was that right so that was pretty amazing yeah it's cool i mean i think that that is uh you know taking that leap of faith is a is kind of a theme of of my book and this podcast as well sort of stepping out into the void and and trusting that uh you're on the right path or you will be taken care of if you're kind of expressing yourself authentically and uh embracing the journey as sort of uh uncertain as it may be as opposed to sort of um contracting in fear and doing the safe thing so what do you think it is about your wife that allowed her to be comfortable making that move you know, I probably her upbringing, you know, and I will say that it was 
if I, if I could tell you how opposite that was to my personality to, I mean, I, you know, my parents were, I mean, I have, I had a happy childhood. I'm there's no, but they were conservative. They, my dad was with the same company for 27 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was unheard of in my brain of of not knowing where my paycheck was going to come. I mean, I cannot looking back, I can't even believe that I did that. But yet you were still pursuing the creative arts. I mean, you know, being a musician and an actor are hardly, you know, being in the, you know, being in the union in the traditional sense of, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. So you are already kind of more out on a limb than somebody who is taking a job where they get a paycheck every two weeks. But I was working full-time at UCLA. Oh, that's so right. It sort right, of, right. So it was sort of like, and I mean the move of quitting that Completely, job. right. Yeah, like the whole idea was like, I'm just going to, you know, I'll have this safe kind of arrangement while I'm pursuing music and acting. You right. Know? And I remember when I quit the full-time UCLA job, I had three months of money. I, I knew I had mm-hmm. three months. I basically three months I would be out of money, you mm-hmm. know. And that that's not was not my personality. I mm-hmm. mean, at all. I remember calling my actor Peter Murnick, you know, that that guy who got me into it and going. He'd been acting for years by the time, and I was like, "How do you like negotiate?" He goes, "I just figure it's gonna, you know, I'll get something." And I, I just to this it's day, like, how can you live me. your life that way? I know, and and to this day, it's it's um, I still it's a struggle for mm-hmm. me, you know, just ingrained in in me. But I did it anyway, and and that's a a big lesson for me as a as a just a human being and and learning not how to not be afraid but learning how to be afraid and still do the things that are important to you and and there's it's never a point where you just stop being afraid of something but it's just kind of it's your response to the fear it's whether you're 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 modifying your behavior as a fear reaction it's right. not whether you're not afraid That's because, right. and i think it's it gets mistaken as um well, you're just different or you're, you know, I don't know why you're not afraid and I right. am right. or that it's just easy for you or yeah. something like that, or you're wired differently, but that's not what it is. It's a warrior path and yeah. it can, it's hard. It is. It's hard as shit sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what I think what happens is, and this has been my experience over the last, you know, eight or nine years of, you know, I've many, many times I've been in that place where I was like, I don't know where the, where the next money, the next dollar is going to come from, and we're coming near the end here. Right. And, you know, if it's just me living it, you know, Ted Kaczynski style in a cabin, I could probably deal with that. But when you're married and you have kids and, you know, all these responsibilities, it's very stressful. Um, but something always does occur, you know, something always happens and I've strung together so many examples of being provided for, maybe not the way that I thought it would happen or wanted it to happen or at the moment that I wanted it to happen, but the needs are always met, right. you know, as long as I'm sort of checking myself and going, all right, is this, is this the path I'm supposed to be walking? Should I be walking it slower or faster? Should I modify it? You right. know, what is authentic to me? What is the mission here? And, you know, as long as I'm doing constantly doing an inventory of that uh-huh. and getting right with myself on that, I feel like it will work out. Yeah, because it has too many times. Like yeah, I can't, de- I can't deny it. For me too. Yeah. So, and it's not like I have this wind. Ever had like a wind, you know, windfall or anything like that. No, it's, just, it's not like you know. <laughs> I got the, I you know, I envisioned the, I, I envisioned the beamer and I it manifested. You know, but right? It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the secret. secret. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, it's like, man, oh well, I just point. imagined it and it happened. Yeah, it's no, not, it's, not it at all. No, it's healthy relationship and healthy body and healthy mm-hmm. mind and and what that entails and 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 realizing that 
you know, people who have, and myself included, you know, grapple with a choice. Oftentimes there's really no choice at all, you know, and it's kind of moving through the, the information to get to the point where you knew the answer all along and you knew mm-hmm. the direction you were going to go, you know, and it's like, I don't know whether to move here or move there. It's like, you know, already, you know, right. sometimes you need somebody to kick you in the ass and go, you're turning left because you know, you're turning left. So just turn mm-hmm. left, you know, just turn left. You're done. You know, I don't care how afraid you are of what left looks like, but that's where you're going to go. Right. Sometimes yeah. the indecision is more comfortable than the decision. That's right. Whether it's left or right. That's right. You know, that's right. And I think that dovetails pretty beautifully into, um, the themes of your book. And, uh, so I want to get into that. I mean, I, first of all, you sent me a galley, uh, copy of your book. So I was privileged to read it before it came out. And, uh, and I love the book. Um, it's, uh, what's really cool about approaching the natural is that what you find out there are diet books that are very specific to diet. And then you have fitness books that are about, here's the workout plan for you. And then you have spirituality books, which are all about the ethereal. Right. But, but there really aren't very many books that sort of take this holistic approach to wellness and say, well, all of these things comprise health. Right. It's mental, it's spiritual, it's physical. And if any one of these elements is out of balance, then you're not healthy. That's and right. so, and, and so you've sort of, you've done this, you've, you've tackled this Herculean subject and, and woven it into, you know, a very easy to read and, and easy to implement kind of primer for taking your own health to the next level and all of these, these categories. So it's really cool. You Thank did you. a great job with the book. Thank you very much. Um, so, you know, what, we haven't, we haven't finished going through your, your biological history here, you know, but I wanted to get into the book. So, I mean, what's, what spawned the idea for it? It just seemed like a natural launching point because you were getting into the ideas behind it. Right. I mean, part of it was just my own thinking over the years. Part of it was a practical sort of, um, you know, becoming a nutritionist finally and, and a wellness coach and, um, you know, going back to school and doing, you know, becoming that and, and starting to work with clients and, and coming up against, a lot of issues, you know, and, um, food related in the beginning. And because, you know, people come and they go, Hey, I want to work with a nutritionist and, and put me on a plan. And I go, okay, here's your plan, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and they wouldn't stick with it. And I went, well, what the hell, you know, like I had asthma and I changed my diet and, and, and I am not tooting my own horn. It's just, I got tired. Of, I'm a long distance runner. I got tired of having asthma. You know, I got tired mm-hmm. of going, why, why am I carrying an inhaler? Why am I, you know, that was just my thing, but I wanted to figure out, the nut to crack and, 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 you know, how to crack that nut of like, okay, how do I get somebody to kind of really either, and this is, it sounds horrible, but sometimes it takes somebody to have a heart attack before they make a change. And I hate right. that that's the case. Pain is a great motivator. Yeah. I, I hate always that that's say. the case. Yeah. And yeah. I, yeah. And I want to, I would love to, I, I'm hoping that the book gets to, to people in a way that catches it before it gets to that point. And, 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 and that the picture of health, like you said, is, is that whole picture. And I think a lot of people mistake thin for healthy or, or fit for healthy even, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sometimes people are fit, but they're not mentally healthy or they're not spiritually healthy. And, and, and what is it to be that as a human being? And I drew on looking at health of the human being in the context of us as a species instead of us as a modern world animal or a modern world non-animal as the case mm-hmm. may be I, I really wanted to look at us and still do 
in my practice and the way that I approach health is as how do I compare it to us as a species? Is this something that, that is even remotely what our species would be open to or doing if we were still living in the wild, knowing that we're not going to go live in the wild, but mm -hmm. we wouldn't be sitting here besides the fact that there's microphones and stuff, but we wouldn't be talking about healthy food if we lived in the wild because we'd be eating it right. every day. There's no other choice. I mean, you just, whatever food you find in the, in the wild is healthy. It's going to mm -hmm. be even animals. I mean, that's what blows my mind about the paleo diet. You know, as people go, oh, the paleo diet is fantastic. It's, it's ridiculous, you know, and it's because, you know, I, I, Jeff Stanford, I, I work at the Stanford Inn up in Mendocino and he gets, mm -hmm. he has a gift shop and you know, he, they, I run the wellness center up there and he gets this catalog and on the cover is a paleo cookbook and it's got a picture of fried chicken on the front. Uh -huh. Cause you know, the paleo they were eating, you know, right. they do, were, do yeah, they had the lots time. of, <laughs> lots of oils up back <laughs> then. It's like, oh my God. And so, but the point is, is that paleo, you know, regardless of what you know about what they're well, I want to talk. I do want to talk about this a little bit and and roll our sleeves up on the paleo thing okay. um, because that's a recurring thing that comes up uh, on the podcast. And I've had a couple guests recently that kind of are from that low carb mm -hmm. and or paleo mm -hmm. camp. Mm -hmm. And like I keep saying, you know, these folks really have the microphone right now in a yeah. big way. I mean, oh, yeah. there is definitely an ascension of plant based eating as a healthy way of being. Um, like never before. I yeah. mean, it's certainly more in the mainstream than ever, but but it's still you know pretty marginalized when yeah. compared to how popular paleo and low carb eating is. And I've right. had a couple guys on espousing the benefits of of you know eating lots of fat and going into ketosis right. um, as a means to there. You know, I think there's confusion about losing weight and, and long term long term health. <laughs> yeah, 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 those are mutually exclusive. Uh, for sure. And I've had a, I had a guy on the other day who is a CrossFit, CrossFit coach, pretty outspoken, well-known guy, uh, and not the first to come on the show and say, everything we know about saturated fat, dietary fat is wrong. There's no connection between that and, and arthrosclerosis. Mm -hmm. Did I say that right? Heart disease, et cetera. And we've all been duped and you shouldn't worry about you know, the dietary saturated fat that you're eating every day. And I have to keep saying, like, I cannot, I'm not down with that. Like, yeah. I just cannot believe that that's true. And on some level, they'll cite Gary Taubes or, you know, these other resources. And I'm not spending all day long pouring through clinical research to figure out who's right and who's wrong right. and trying to poke holes in this peer-reviewed research versus yeah. that. Yeah. So I'm interested in hearing what your response is uh, to that, because I've just heard too many <laughs> doctors and cardiologists and people that I respect say, you know, you got, you cannot eat saturated fat in your diet and expect to, you know, not develop plaques in your arteries. Right. Um, well, I'll, I'll first say that even if you did spend all your day pouring through research, you still can't maybe figure out who's right and who's wrong. And, mm -hmm. and, and I've, I can find research to support pretty much anything I want to say, you know, and, um, and that's kind of what that is and just how it goes. Mm -hmm. I will say that that's part of the reason why sometimes I defer to the natural state of the human being. And that's why the book's called approaching the natural. Cause it's the premise is that the closer we get by degrees, um, to what's the most natural for our species, um, the better we're going to be. And that goes for mental, spiritual and, mm -hmm. and physical, um, with regards to paleo, paleo, I mean, I, just to finish that that thought was, you know, 
in the wild, in the Paleolithic era, we would be moving around to find the animal. Mm-hmm. The animal would be moving around to escape predator and to find its own food. And the food the animal would be eating would be wild, nour- nourishing food. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be cooking it. We wouldn't be storing it. We wouldn't be moving it, transporting it in a refrigerated thing. We wouldn't be shooting it with antibiotics and hormones. We wouldn't be feeding it unnatural food like corn to a cow. It's mm-hmm. insane. So if you're going to talk about paleo, let's talk about paleo. Go get a bow and go in the, in the forest. On and a persistent hunt. And, 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 yeah, and, and kill an animal. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. The thing about it is it's not that we can't survive on that. We, we could. I, I can envision myself being healthy by eating mostly plants. Oh, another thing we didn't do is milk it, mm-hmm. right? We didn't catch the antelope and milk it real quick before we killed it. You know, it was, we just killed it and eat the meat. We ate, <clears throat> by all accounts, most accounts, about 5% of our diet from animal. And usually what I've read is, is it had to do more with needing a caloric boost when plants were in scarcity. I mean, there's, I was talking to Jeff Stanford's a, an anthropologist, and, and he was telling me about that 50,000 years ago, they found sites that showed that they were, that they were growing in an agricultural setting, not, and then, they, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is 10,000 BC was when we started doing agriculture. Mm-hmm. Well, they found 50,000 year old sites where they're planting potatoes and, and planting and mm-hmm. growing and eating porridge and things like that. If I were, if plants were scarce, the next best thing would be a wild animal. But I still maintain that as much as we need carbs and we need fat and we need protein, healthy versions of all three of those. And I wish carbs was just not a word. I wish people mm-hmm. would just say carbohydrates because they just carbs is like such a limited <laughs> word now. It drives me nuts. Um, but we need those things. The question isn't that we need them. The question is where do we get them? What is the source of those things? And as much as anybody wants to tell me that I need protein and I will debate, and I won't debate with you because you and I agree on this, that people eat way too much protein. Mm-hmm. But the question for me isn't that we need protein or how much. It's where we get it. What comes with the protein? What What is packaged with it? How much micronutrients? And when you compare whole plants, the vitamin and mineral content of whole plants versus animals, there's just no comparison. There's mm-hmm. just no comparison. And if you were going to eat animal, of course, a wild animal is going to be better than a farmed animal, period. End of story. Mm-hmm. I just don't need to go kill a deer because I can get all the plants I need at the corner market. Right. You know, and that's where I go on the paleo thing. It's like just because the paleo people, you know, our ancestors ate whatever they ate doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best or that there was a lot of maybe they were short on plants. Maybe they were living in an area where they couldn't get plants that they were edibles and so mm-hmm. they had to eat the animals that could eat the, the plants you know cows can digest grasses that we can't and that's why you know we would have to eat them if we couldn't if the, all there was was grass for us to eat right you know that kind of thing we're brought to you today by brain fm you know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do but the mind doesn't really want to do it You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense. And you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. And the good news is that it does exist. It's called brain.fm, which is this 
sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, And the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton, birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. 
I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. And also, it seems to me, and I think you probably have, you know, no more than I on this subject, but... Uh, when we talk about paleo, there's so much focus on the hunting aspect of it because there's a, a sort of machismo uh, component to the paleo lifestyle, this caveman idea. Mm. Um, and, and the hunt is a big part of that. But it overlooks the gatherer aspect of what was going on and the balance between the plant foods, like you said, That's and right. the hunting. And, it, and you, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding is that, that the animals that were hunted, they're few and far between. I mean, that was almost like a luxury, right? That's or a right. delicacy. We're um, like gatherer hunters. Right. I mean, not hunter-gatherers. Right. You know, we, we predominantly gathered. And the hunt was the persistent hunt of yeah. running after these animals, right. sometimes for days until they were exhausted. Right. I mean, you can read about that in Born to Run. They talk right. a lot about that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of exercise involved. That's right. A lot of energy spent. If you look at net calories, yeah. how many calories were were exerted to get the calories gained by the animal right. that was and how lean was, was the animal? Exactly. I'm not talking about saturated right. fat, right, right. And, and and to be fair to the paleo folks, I mean, there's a lot of good qualities to that diet Dairy free. In, com- in comparison to the standard American diet for sure. sure. And I think that if you're doing it sort of as prescribed, there are a lot of vegetables in that diet, right? And and that gets overlooked because people just talk about bacon for breakfast. Well, they want an excuse like Atkins yeah. to go, who came on, you know, right. I can just do that. I can have fried chicken, fried chicken on the, you know, the paleo diet, you know? And there's a stink, a distinction, I think, between paleo and, and low carb because low carb is all about no carb basically, or, right. you know, no grains and let's all get in into ketosis until we have bad breath and we're Destroying our destroying our kidneys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 that sounds good. <laughs> and uh, and I have people on that are athletes and telling me how great they feel and all this sort of thing. And and I'm like, all right, well, there's a performance aspect to this. There's a weight loss aspect to this. But what is the long term, down the line, twenty year thing? Like, That's are right. you, you know what I mean? Like, I do. What happens? Yeah, because I'm not totally not niche. I mean, I tell people if if, if it were I have clients, I've said if you want me to have you lose weight as fast as possible, I'll put you on Atkins. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. That's not my job. I'm a well. I'm wellness. I'm health. I'm not. It has nothing. I can put you on a thousand diets. Go mm-hmm. eat sand for a week. You'll lose weight. It's like there's a million things you can do to lose weight, but. I like weight loss as a side effect of health. That's my thing about weight loss. It's one of the things you know, and um, like good skin, you know, and, and when you focus just on weight loss, you're going to be most chances, most by most accounts, you're not going to be successful, which is why most diets, diets mm-hmm. fail, but why, but at the same time, why people like Atkins, you know, sell millions and millions of books. Cause it's a, you probably do feel better in the short term, 
you know, if you're eating mm-hmm. junk food and Snicker bars and crap and you go to Atkins and, and, and you switch over to whatever that is and, um, and give up some of the white flour kind of stuff, you probably do feel better in the short term. But I, again, I'm not interested in the short term, you know, and that mm-hmm. doesn't do us justice. As a, if, if Atkins worked, if meat worked. Well, Atkins, you know, would, Atkins himself would not die. be six feet under right, right now. You know, of heart disease. Right. You know, so it's just, it's just that kind of like common sense, like, okay, you know, let's all take a deep breath and, and, and it's really not that I try to get across that it's not that complicated really, which is why my book is only 160 pages long. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to write a, another book with charts and blah, blah, blah about, you know, food, because I think people's brains explode when they're given 21 day this and that, right. you know, and it doesn't work. It's confusing with people because on the one hand, the the flip side of that is they want to be told exactly what to do. And mm-hmm. if they see a bunch of charts, they're like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's almost uh, like not genuine, yeah. you know, or inauthentic because it's really more elementary than that. Yeah. And you don't really need to get into all that stuff. So what do you say to somebody when they come to you and, and, and they say, I want to get healthy and I'm ready? You know, how do I, how do I start? I mean, are you a guy who's going to say, all right, jump all the way in, or can you lean into it gradually or what, you know, what would be kind of the first words of wisdom to get somebody going in this lifestyle? Um, it would depend on the client because, you know, I get the call of I have stage four cancer. That's a different conversation than, um, Hey, I just want to learn about nutrition and maybe I think I could probably start eating better, you know, and, and, um, the just want to start eating better. I ease them in because what I found is that when I, when I just focus on adding things in, um, I always talk about how we're kind of all children at heart. And if we're told we can't do something, we're going to do mm-hmm. it anyway, you know, and uh, uh, you can't tell me what to do kind of thing. And, and so I go, okay, you know, Hey, just, you know, got cream in your coffee, like have cream in your coffee, but maybe on your way to the restaurant to have prime rib, you bring some cucumber and, 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 celery with you and you chomp on that in the car on the way. I think you could probably do that. A stock of celery, a cucumber, a couple slices mm-hmm. of cucumber. That's probably something you could do. And, and just, Oh yeah, I can do that. Okay, cool. Why don't we start there? And, and that little step to me is so profound because it makes you, it makes people start thinking about what they put in their bodies and it starts making them think about how they take care of themselves. And I think we are so programmed and I, by we, I mean, you know, well, yeah. Hey Ty. <laughs> um, <laughs> Come on in. Podcast, um, podcast is interrupt us. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like having a cigarette. Um, yeah. and, uh, but but um, just, you know, how to add little things in um, because we're so programmed to be, to do the things that, we're, that we've done our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, the foods that we're used to taste-wise, the, um, the foods that give us comfort the actions that we are rely on and the, the relationships that even if they're not healthy, we stay in because that's just, it's the idea of not having those things is kind of weird to us. And I think it's effective to kind of ease people in and, and insert a little bit of mindfulness into their day-to-day lives. And, and what happens is that like me, where I took a little tweak of my diet and then it made me start thinking about things. And then over time I've gradually moved all the way because I just kept feeling better and better. Mm-hmm. And that's a better, to me, that's a better thing than telling somebody you can't ever smoke again. Um, and rather say, keep smoking, but why don't we right now work on your diet and this, and then eventually they don't feel like having a cigarette because mm-hmm. it just doesn't taste good and it makes them feel like crap. 
and they've gotten to a level where they feel so good that a cigarette doesn't make them feel well and they don't feel like having it anymore. That That's lifelong. Well, it, it it's getting to a place where they're willing to take greater responsibility themselves. That's right. And when that desire is self-generated as opposed to externally generated that's because right. you're telling them to do it, that has a completely different effect on the human psyche. That's right. You know, and I think you're right. I mean, I do that. I, do, I say the same thing. Don't focus on what you can't have. Focus on what you can have. Right. And put all the attention on, you know, this new food or, yeah. or try something new and, yeah. and have fun with it and don't take it so seriously yeah. and learn to enjoy it. And the more you do that, it also creates a momentum, you know, and That's you can't, exactly right. you can't uh, underestimate how powerful that momentum is. I mean, once you kind of that train starts to pull out of the station and slowly, slowly, slowly picks up speed. That's right. It becomes very difficult to slow down. Yeah. And that's exactly the experience I've had, Mm -hmm. you know, and recently I had a client, I just, you know, she came to me with a bunch of serious issues, you know? So I was like, game on, but I completely misread it because she wasn't ready, you Mm -hmm. know? And it was like, whoa. And then she's like, I can't do this, you know? And it was like, okay, I totally just didn't, I needed to gauge it better to say you're, let's add in a little bit, but you know, the, the seriousness of the stuff that she came to me with was enough for me to come back and say, let's go all the way here. This is like heavy duty, but mm-hmm. we're so mentally attached to the, the nostalgia of food and the things that we're used to with food that, that, um, you got to wade through that minefield, you know? Yeah. It's an, it's, it's so emotional and, and everybody is different. You know, for me, I can't do it. I had to do it. You know, I uh-huh. had to do, go extreme, extreme right. because if I did dabbled here and there, I, I just know myself well enough. Uh-huh. And, and that's based on my sort of personality defect of, you know, having an addictive personality right, and right. struggling with addiction that I really had to apply a recovery model to it and treat it like drugs and right. say, I'm crossing this line and I'm not going back. Yeah. And that created its own kind of momentum, uh-huh. you know, and, and, uh, sort of parameters that work for me, yeah. but you know, that doesn't work for everybody. And I'm aware of that. Yeah. And that's the difficulty of my job is to figure out, figure out what's going to work for which person. Work. I mean, that's what I want to do. Cause it's too easy for me to do what most dietitians that I've come across do, which is give a little plan of, you know, measure a cup of this at 1030 and a, you know, ounce of that and blah, blah, blah. And then people go, Oh my God, this is great. I'm on a plan, I'm on a plan, you uh-huh. know, and they do it. And then two months later they burn out and, and, you know, and that's that. And I just, right. it's, it's so not interesting to me to do that. It never was. It's also very in vogue right now to, to have this negative reinforcement strategy in place. Like there are people who are sending, you know, before pictures of them yeah. looking terrible yeah. and say, if I don't lose this much weight or get to this place by this date, then you're going to, then you have that picture and you put it up on my Facebook page or, oh. you know, and I would like sort of, you know, putting your hand to the fire a little yeah. bit yeah. as opposed to the flip side of the positive, you know, keep going and that kind of gentle you know, <laughs> reinforcement that you probably give your clients. Clients. Well, and I remove that. And to me, it's, it's, it goes back to the, what is health in my mind and health is, is, is coexistent with happiness. And so if you just make it on, here's my before picture and, and I better be this weight after, I think you're missing the whole point, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not going to deliver you what you ultimately want, which is, a, is an experience of life that is full and open and, and, and allows you to, to relate to people and, and, do all the things that human beings are designed, I would argue, designed to do. We are tri- we're tribal, we're, we're creative, we're, we're rational, and, and, and 
wonderful. And when we close our bodies off to nourishment, when we close our minds off to creativity, it all has the same effect on us and our, and our quality of life. And so making it just about a before and after picture is to me completely missing the point. I don't have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. So where did this idea come of this more holistic approach that, that really embraces the spiritual and the mental? I mean, was that your perspective from the beginning or how has that evolved? I don't think it was. I think that when I gave up dairy um, in 92 and because of an asthmatic kind of thing, it was physical. It was just like, I got asthma and oh, hey, look at this book. I'm going to, okay, my asthma's gone right on, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm going for a run. Um, but just that act alone of paying attention to what I was putting in my body made me more open to other reading other things about diet. And then that led to reading eventually coming across um, the effect of of animal and food production on the environment and also the treatment of animals that we, that we fence up and, and, and brutalize, you know, and it was like this progression of, of starting with my body. It really, that's how it happened. And that's why in the book I talk about holistic self-interest because I think we're designed to physically, if you remove the, the mind from the picture, our bodies are designed to procreate and survive and thrive. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are dying literally for nourishing food. That's just what they want. And, and if we get out of the way and watch into the forest, that's what we'd get. But we have to use our minds because we're next door to the McDonald's. So we got to kind of negotiate that whole thing. But, but just the act of taking care of my body, um, I think naturally progressed me. I look back on it and think for sure naturally progressed me into just a, an openness that allowed other information about the way I was living into my mind and, and um, definitely some spiritual aspects of that. And I don't mean religious because mm-hmm. I think those two things are very different, but um, more of a mindfulness, a paying attention of what that is. And, and, um, and I wanted to bring that into the idea of the book that, you know, when you start paying attention to yourself and I know that sounds like we you know, got to pay attention to other people. I, I work with people who are the caregivers, you know, like the traditional caregivers. And I'll still make that argument. Like if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. That's mm-hmm. pretty common knowledge now, you know, but people don't, what that means. If you're a mother taking care of a sick parent or a sick child, the, the healthier you are. But I think people feel like I can't attend to myself because I need to be attending. That to would be selfish. Right. And I think indulgent. the best thing you can do is be selfish. I think the best mm-hmm. thing you can do is be selfish. I think that it makes you a better parent, a better spouse, um, a better sibling to take care of yourself and make yourself happy. Lisa and I have a good, been married 18 years. We have a good marriage, a great marriage because, you know, things like when I said I want to quit my job, she said fine. And when I wanted to mm-hmm. pursue music, she was never like, well, it's not really practical you know she's like great right. and my, my still to this day my biggest supporter you know and likewise you know she's a poet and and uh i'm i want her to do those things i want her to do all the things that make her happy because the happier she is the happier we are and vice versa right well i mean when you talk about the natural approaching the natural uh i mean it's it's really quite profound and it it brings up one of my favorite quotes <laughs> the throw quote of uh, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation and what is considered uh, resignation is confirmed desperation. I think that's how it goes. And it was true then in 18, whenever, mm-hmm. when he wrote it. And it's, I think it's more true now because as society progresses and we become more and more kind of disconnected from our neighbors 
and our friends and ourselves, and we dupe ourselves into thinking we're more connected because of technology, but actually we're becoming more separate in many ways, particularly it's, it's very noticeable in Los Angeles because you spend all your time in a car and you don't really interact with anybody except on the phone. And this is not the natural state of the human being in his natural environment. Right. And I think that it is a huge causation or contributing factor to all of these sort of, you know, mental disorders that plague us, you know, from depression to whatever, because we're not meant to live this way in, in, in many ways. And so, but at the same time, technology is not going away and, you know, we have the lives that we have. So what are the, what are some of the ways that we can recapture a more natural state that is harmonious with the way that we're meant to live that could contribute to elevating our happiness on some level? Um, I, I would say, you know, Reading a put no um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, go on the internet and go on Facebook. Yeah, go on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, go tweet tweet me your problems, <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I will tweet you back. Um, no, um, I think that um, that that, and this is the truth. This is why I did write, write the book because um, I do think that taking even the most minute of steps um, it has a profound uh, difference. I think that 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 I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Well, in this room, um, no, I'm not not the smartest guy in the room, but not the dumbest either. Um, but I think that even the smallest, uh, of steps is profound in the sense that, um, like I said before, just paying attention is, is really a, to me, a solution. And what I mean by that is I know that we're not going to go. That's why it's called approaching the natural. It's not mm-hmm. called living the natural. Because right, they're just not. Gonna You're not going to be a prepper and go moving into the woods. No, and, you know, not going to, and nor should you. No, um, <laughs> but um, but but at the same time, I think little things make a huge, huge difference in the modern world, and I think would make a huge difference. So, like I said, you know, eating a once. If all you can do right now is eating a stalk of celery per day, if, if that's literally you're so busy. And you have a family that, and your husband eats junk food, and that's what they's in the house. But you can squeak a one stalk of celery. That makes you a thinking person. Number one, and number two, it makes you somebody who who takes care of themselves. And that means, is it at the degree that that is going to make you necessarily healthy? Maybe not. But if all you can do on a given day is walk across the room because otherwise you're sitting on a couch all day every day because you're totally stagnant. But you can get up and walk across the room and get back. And that's the step you can do every day. You become a person who exercises over time. Enough? Probably not. But you establish that as, a, as right away. And I actually argue that, that technology, when used in conjunction with mindfulness, can be, can be useful. Mm-hmm. I know that I have friends I haven't seen or, and I don't have time. I have three kids and we're both working full time and busy and I don't have time for a 45-minute conversation. Sometimes all I have time for is a tweet. Um, I mean, not a tweet, but like a text, mm-hmm. you know, and while of course it's not as good as sitting with somebody over a coffee face to face, sometimes that's what I can do. But I think that's better than nothing. I think reaching out to somebody that you haven't talked to, to bring them back into your lives, however it, whatever it takes, however it takes is right. I think is fantastic. I think what happens is, is that we trade, we think that that's the real deal. It's not the real deal. Sometimes it's the best we can muster. And, and I, ideally, you know, I can get on an airplane and go to see my friends in New York. That'd be great. I don't have that luxury right mm-hmm. now. And so sometimes it's an email 
Um, and then there's steps in that direction. But I think with an, an intention behind it of, of understanding that, that having a social network, um, a real one, is, is important and it's natural to us. And f- doing whatever you can in the moment to foster that makes a difference. Right. Same thing with food. Right. Whatever you can do. Micro, micro steps of anchoring, or anchoring yourself more in the present and, and elevating your consciousness and directing your attention on that. That's right. And That's not exactly. being distracted. That's right. Because I think, it, you know, if you could just define mindfulness for somebody who might not be familiar with what that term means. Um, for me, it means being aware in the moment. It means paying attention. So when you sit down to you know, some fried chicken, you know, or whatever it is, because that's what you were raised on and that's what makes you feel good. And you had a crappy day and you get home and you pop the TV dinner in the, in the, in the microwave and you eat it. Um, because it makes you in that moment makes you feel good. It's like, Oh God, what a crappy day. I'm gonna have some fried chicken and, you know, mashed potatoes cause that's comfort food. Um, and that's an, um, that's an unthinking position in terms of who we are as a species naturally, that is a, an addictive pleasure center uh, act juxtaposed to a healthy act of eating food that truly nourishes you, that, that, that when your body is under stress because of emotional stress or anything, you, the one thing you need is nourishing food. Your body is craving nourishment. So when you eat that fried chicken, it's, you're creating conflict for yourself. You're putting something in your body that is the exact opposite of what your body needs in that moment. It needs caring. It needs love mm-hmm. and it needs fostering of health and, 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 you know, to thrive. But I think also, you know, most people would, I would argue, grab the, grab the fried chicken without even, even being consciously aware that that is their medicine to salve whatever emotional discomfort they're feeling at that moment. So the first step in mindfulness is having an awareness that that's what you're doing before that, you even change the habit. That's saying, exactly right. I'm going to get the fried chicken that's because right. I don't feel this. I don't feel good right now. I have this emotional, you know, issue that's coming up. That's recurrent for me. And I know that it's my pattern to get greasy food to, uh-huh. and it'll make me feel better. And I'm going to go do that right now. Just that alone, like that's, knowing what that, that's, that's exactly what you're doing right. yeah. is mindfulness in, in and that's of itself exactly before right. there's any behavior modification. That's exactly right. Because the next step of course, is to then you're, when you kind of cop that position of awareness, the next step is to say, Hey, you know what? This isn't really making me feel better. Mm-hmm. It's, it's giving me five minutes of pleasure, but in an hour from now, I'm going to still that stress angle. Then I have five hours of shame spiral or that. And also the emotional problem I had at work. Yeah, exactly. And the, yeah. And whatever problem I was trying to solve is still there and I'm not dealing with it directly. So which means it's probably getting worse. I've been, I've been quoting uh, Louis CK. You know, (laughs) do you know he is a comedian? Of course. And he, and he has this thing bit where he goes, uh, uh, he goes, I just now found out recently that food eating, eating is supposed to make you feel good. Like the purpose of food is to make you feel good. And he just does this thing where he's like, usually it's just like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> like he just, he never got that. Like the act of eating is supposed to be, you're supposed to, in theory, naturally we would eat and feel nourished, you know, right. and that's such a foreign thing for people. To, but like classic Louis, like to say something so elementary and, and kind of profound at the same time. Yeah. Cause I think that's, that, that is the public consciousness. That's like, right. Oh yeah. They're, oh yeah. Really? It's supposed to do that. Yeah. 
it's it's so foreign mm-hmm. to to people and including me. I mean, there's things I can't have in the house, you know, and I'm thin. I have a flat stomach at 44. I'm in better mm-hmm. shape than I was at 24, but there's stuff that I ha- can't have in the house because if I if it's there, I will overeat it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's because I battle what every human being battles, which is um a pleasure center thing, you know, right. where there's crazy foods that we have created for ourselves that that mess with our natural drives and numinos do that for me, you know? Yeah. And we're all human beings and I don't care, you know, who's behind what diet and is telling you this and that and the other, the person behind it is a human being and they, that person comes with, you know, their frailties and and their weaknesses and their faults and, and all of that. And I think it's human to project some sort of idealistic picture on top of that person. And, you know, you everybody wants to aspire to this or that, but it's, it's sort of, being aware, being mindful, having yeah. a mindfulness that that we're nobody escapes the human condition. That's right. And of course, you know, I've been walking this sort of plant based lifestyle for a while, but that doesn't mean that I'm free of these cravings or, or or what have you. It's like you know, in a weak moment, man, the potato chips. That's you right. Know, it's like you know, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll go there, and uh, it's a practice. You know, it's Me not too. something you transcend and is in your past. No, I'm totally the same, exactly the same kind of thing. And I drink coffee, um, you know, things I know aren't healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a scotch now and then, you know, um, I can't, I know that um, they're not healthy for me. I'm aware of that. And if I weren't healthy or as healthy as I want to be, which I am, if I weren't, I would know where to, you know, what to get out of my life. That would mm-hmm. be that. I also have to be mindful. And so you're talking about mindfulness. Mindfulness is not putting the numinos in the house. Right. That's how we can use our brains in a way that is, um, you know, not putting ourselves in a position to fail, you know, right. doing things and, and helping other people. I'm astounded um, that, that you know, people are walking around obese um, morbidly, many, and, and people aren't rushing them into rehab. I mean, if, if, if they were as addicted to heroin as they are to food, I'm assuming somebody would take them and put them into rehab. Yeah, but we're letting people walk around that are literally killing themselves, and it's because it's food somehow. It's exempt from the addictive model, and it has all exactly the same effects on their lives. It's ruining them emotionally. It's ruining them, ruining them physically. It's ruining their relationships. It's all the same thing. It's because they're not eating for nourishment at all. That went bye bye years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they're killing themselves, and it just have food as they're juggling. Oh, they're just overeating too much. It's like no man. It's a desperate act. Well, we've made these weird, uh, you know, social agreements about what's acceptable and what's not. And, you know, we've, our sort of uh, resistance to obesity has been eroded and it's changed our cultural mores. And and now, you know, somebody who's tremendously overweight is seen as normal. And and, and I think that, you know, there's a more kind of Rubenesque notion of beauty that Uh is ascending right now as a result of this, where... You know, when we were kids, it's like maybe there was one overweight kid in every class, and, and right. now it's like the half t-shirt of them at the are beach. Home. Yeah, the I t-shirt mean, of the beach kid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's everywhere now, and that's that's the norm, and it's tweaked our um, our our kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, our perception of of what's appropriate or normal, I suppose. Right, and 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 again, to come back to sort of why I approach. Um, health in terms of um, in the context of us as a species is because regardless of cultural norms and and you know cultural cultural relativity you know and what beauty is 
I still would make the argument that the human body, like other wild animals, isn't designed to carry extra fat. And, and we're the only species that's, that carries too much weight. Every other species in the wild, anyway, is exactly the, how heavy they're supposed to be because they, they self-regulate, not because mm -hmm. of willpower. They self-regulate because their bodies are right in tune with nature and they finish eating when they're done eating. And the only animals other than, than humans that become overweight are the ones that we domesticate, you know, dogs and cats right. and cows and pigs and that force, else, force feed them. We're messing up, yeah. But in the wild, we wouldn't be battling with weight. We do exactly what the gorillas do. You don't see a gorilla with a beer gut. They, mm -hmm. they they eat the amount of calories and the quality of calories that's perfect and perfect balance with the amount of energy that they expend in their activities. That's right. it. Right. It ain't complicated. And just as an example of of Sid's mindfulness, I was uh, I told him to meet meet uh meet meet me here at the house at three o'clock, and I was a couple minutes late. I'm pulling into the driveway and. And he's walking around. Our, our our driveway is gravel, and it's it's very rough on a bare foot. Walk around, it kind of hurts your feet if you're not wearing shoes. And he's walking around the driveway in his in his bare feet. So I'm like, he is walking his walk literally and figuratively of being in contact with the earth and having a tactile experience with his environment, which is a classic example of mindfulness. He had a choice. He could put his shoes on. Maybe it would be more comfortable, but. He's like, okay, I'm going to connect with this place I've never been before. I mean, I'm projecting this onto you, of course, yeah. but, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that that's part of your, you know, part of your trip. This is, this is part of your way of being. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, it, it's, and, and just for people who are listening, I don't have dreadlocks. You no. know, I, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, yeah. And, and that's the thing about it is. And, and well, let's talk about the hippie thing. And yeah, the I want to get into that a little bit because yeah. I'm like the not the. I mean, I'm, there's no judgment against hippies. I'm just not a hippie. Never right. have been. I'm an I'm indie rock musician. Right. right. You know, you look more like a hippie than I do. Just right. Well, my hair is long. Yeah. I think I'm going to cut just, it all off soon. Okay. Yeah. I, it's the cool people. Are, that's what the cool people are. That's what the kids <laughs> yeah. are doing. Um, <laughs> anyhow, but yeah. So I'd love to talk about the hippie thing. Cause right. That's, well, that's let's the, let's talk about labels in okay. general. I mean, there's the vegan label yeah. and there's the paleo label and yeah. the low carb label and, the, you know, every, these labels. And I talk about this a lot, you know, carry with them. They're loaded, you know, yeah. in, in, in many ways. And, uh, my sort of take on the whole word vegan is that it's complicated. Yeah. Um, and I think when you call yourself vegan, uh, for a lot of people, uh, that conjures up an image of somebody that uh, they have a preconceived judgment about, right. good or bad. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's good. Yeah. Sometimes it's not so good. Right. Uh, oftentimes there's a political agenda associated with that. There is a, um, a an assumed level of activism that's yeah. associated with that. Right. So it's beyond a food choice, and it's it, it ventures into the realm of politics, uh, maybe even religion for some. Yeah. Um, environment. Environment for sure. Uh, and, uh, and so sometimes, you know, if you're in a position where you're kind of carrying this message of healthy lifestyle and not just diet, but like a healthy, balanced, holistic way of living, uh, sometimes the word vegan fits and works for for whoever you're talking to, and sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, labels, like, you know, I, I prefer to not use the label just because I'd rather be neutral and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not waving a flag and trying to convince somebody or recruit, you know, I'm trying to share my experience 
to somebody who's interested in hearing that, but that's different from a bully pulpit. And I think the word vegan kind of gets more associated with a bully pulpit point of view. I would agree with that. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem. A problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I think, I mean, I don't even mention the word vegan in my book. Um, I am, as a nutritionist, interested in the healthiest foods you can put in your body um, and how to put more of those in your body. And um, I'm interested in, in 
as a wellness coach because my you know one chapter in my book is nutrition and the rest aren't right this um, whole but it, it just so be, to be clear it's not a whole book about eating a plant-based diet no, it's, it's, one it's just one you know one yeah. of however many eight chapters i think you how many yeah, do you have? six yeah it's right. six chapters um and um i think i do make the case yeah i the thing i mean i'm i'm not even technically vegan because i have raw honey now and then um, i actually ate honey as well yeah and so i i just i was like you know i started reading all this crap about agave nectar and, and it was not good you know mm-hmm. and 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 i started at the same time reading a bunch of stuff on raw honey and i was like this is kind of cool and but what about the this and that and i picked up the phone and called the local beekeeper up in mendocino county and um lover's lane honey and i just picked up the phone and i was like tell me about what you do and how you treat your your bees and what's your what's your practice of mm-hmm. doing and he goes explained it to me and he goes if you're ever in the area i'll put a suit on you and take you into the bee you know take you into the bees you can see mm-hmm. what i do um it's local and it's clean and it's well cared for and that was a choice i made and in doing that gave up the label vegan big whoop you know it was like right. it's so not the point of what i do or how i live the whole point is is to live in a way that is in minimal conflict to myself and to the world that it's, if I had to sum that up. And that's really what the book is about too. It's when you remove the conflicts that you, I mean, I think a lot of people know conceptually what goes on environmentally in, in food production. And that not only is animals, but that's also mm-hmm. just the processing of food, you know, and also um, the treatment of, of the animals and the, and the human workers that are involved in that industry. It's horrific. I think people understand that they, a lot of people do anyway, they get it, they've read it, they've seen it. They, then they go, I can't even deal with this. I don't even want to like think about this. And so they compartmentalize. They don't want to think about it. Why? Cause it's troubling. It's, it's troubling. I'm sure you've seen the videos I've yeah. seen. Um, that's conflict. When you know something and you have information about something and then you continue to act in a way that is, that is promoting that that's that's in conflict and so i couldn't write a book about health without addressing how our actions affect the world as a whole and when you shut something of violence and and that you're doing that you have a part in you shut that away i don't believe you can shut that away effectively i think that what you're doing is closing your yourself off to that and in doing so closing yourself off to a more full experience of life and and to an a more open relationship with your family and friends i think you you can't just say well i'm just not going to think about this thing but then i'm going to think about i'm still cool with all these other things i think you need to let it all out and and remove the any kind of conflicts that exist for you so it's like a low-grade disharmony to be aware of those issues and and have a like you said like some court be conflicted over it but to do it anyway and participate in a system that's rigged to kind of prevent you from really looking at it or really understanding what's going on right when you go to the supermarket it's a total disconnect yeah you don't see it but there is that kind of low grade you know kind of um lack of alignment there that is like it's almost like a thing that that is like uh in the back of your head that's kind of bugging you but isn't important enough to do anything about it right and in my experience, and this is like my experience in recovery, it's it's been a process of looking at all those things in my life that are, are that are not in alignment or lack lack a certain harmony and addressing them, resolving them, that's right, and moving on. I mean, that's a huge premise of like the twelve step program. Yeah. Um, and and, and the more that I can, yeah, you you free yourself of those things, and then you become more empowered. You become more 
holistically well and you're able to look people in the eye and function and know who you are as a human being. You right. become a more actualized, authentic version of yourself. Right. And you don't have to be a new agey. No, it has nothing to do to with that do at that. all. You know, I yeah. think people think like that all sounds good, you know, or, or you know, I'm just, a, I, that's not my world or especially in the terms of like food, people think, you know, I know animals are harmed. I know it's bad for the environment, but you know, I, at the end of the day, I need my protein, you know, mm-hmm. and my, I'm raising kids. And so, you know, I'm willing to kind of make that. And so that's why I've got chapter on food is to say, well, not only do you not need that much protein, but you can get plenty of protein from plants. Cause I have for over 10 years, you know, and, and spirulina has got twice as much protein in it than beef does, you know, broccoli is more protein than beef, you know, so mm-hmm. sort of like to remove those kinds of like, well, here you go, you know, and whether you act on it or not is, is profound. It has a profound effect on your quality of life Mm -hmm. and that it's totally okay to be concerned with your quality of life. Like every human being should be a hundred percent concerned, maybe not a hundred, but a huge percentage of their concern should be their own quality of life because it speaks to the quality of the lives of the people that they affect and live with and interact with in the world. And that goes for people you don't even know that goes for people on the freeway stuck in traffic and you're pissed off because partly because you don't like your job and because you feed your body junk food and you have no ability or little ability to deal with the stresses of living in Los Angeles. And so you decided to get, you decide to get violent or you don't decide, but you become violent because you're, you haven't equipped yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, that it affects people. That's real for me. I see that that way. I see that putting that Big Mac in your mouth affects how violent you are. I, I completely make that argument Mm-hmm. And I will make that argument that what people, I look at Congress and I go, gee, I wonder if, if they took care of themselves, you know, what, what our country would look like, you know, if, if people would the, feed themselves well, what the laws would look like, what the laws would look, look like, what the wars would look like, you know, what would it be if people it took a little time to pay attention to what they put in their bodies and how well they take care of themselves, how, how that would go because they've linked, you know, anger and violence and stress in general, anxiety and fear to food they have and that's why a diet is such an important part of mental health and and you know to me is a fundamental uh, necessity with regards to mental health not that psychiatry or psychology or anything else doesn't have its validity but if you're not feeding your body what it needs to function and survive well boy Mm -hmm. it is the preventive medicine to me but that movement you know the things Mm -hmm. like we move and we, we we nourish you know we do those things that's number one and then getting into the getting into the mental and the spiritual, um, let's talk a little bit, you know, kind of launching off from mindfulness into, you know, a more, you know, spiritual practice, whether it's meditation or how you can kind of enhance um, that other side of the equation outside of food. Um, I'll, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record. And for people who are listening, a record uh-huh. is a... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, my first album was on vinyl, so just to, yeah. to date to date me. Um, I think our demo is in CD. our age group. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know, totally. Um, but um, I would say that uh, you know, mindfulness applied to all parts of life, you know, and um, that's going to be the spiritual. I don't want to say awakening, but it's that kind of experience of life to pay to be attention to pay attention and to be open in your day to day, and that that's just something that is. You, you as a human being, as it applies to all the things that you do. So it's like, 
I just, you know, I've been reading a lot of, you know, I'll mention Jeff Stanford again, because it's mm-hmm. like all these, at the Stanford, like all these conversations where he's like talking all the time. And he introduced me to Krishnamurti, uh-huh. um, who's a philosopher. And, and his thing is like, you know, going into a room and, and meditating, you know, he doesn't even see that as meditation. His, his argument and his, his uh, whole approach is meditation is watching the everyday. It's how you cook, how you talk. Um, how you walk, watching, being aware, being in the moment, because it in truly in the moment, it's not even like a watcher stance, but it's like just being a watch, you know, watching your just what we're doing, mm-hmm. being aware in the moment. That's how, more like an Eckhart Tolle approach to just being present, being present. and not being distracted That's and right. being hyper conscious of your thoughts, That's right. your environment. Being and then it's focused like on the person choice. that you're talking to and not yeah. thinking about, you know, oh, I got to call that guy right. back and all the other things that enter into our minds. Yeah. Being present. And mm-hmm. then you don't have like the choices are really not there as much in that moment. The where to go and what to do is there. If you're present in the moment, truly, and, and most people, it's hard to, it takes practice. Like you said, it's a practice, you know, but, but in the moment, you're not going to eat if you were truly present and truly aware, you wouldn't eat a Twinkie. You know, you would eat something that was good for you, nourishing, because mm-hmm. you know that that you want to be a healthy person, no matter what you want to do in your life. You want to be somebody who lives a long time, and 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 more importantly than that, lives feeling good every day. And you would you would you wouldn't you know abuse somebody or, or treat somebody badly in the moment. You wouldn't get violent on the freeway because you would realize that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. It's, but you, if you're not present, you just do that. And it's a reaction instead of an mm-hmm. action. Right. So spirituality, you know, I don't know. I, there's a lot of unknown, but I think that getting more in touch with the, um, the, the present, the energy, if you will, which most of the time I won't, but um, you know the energy mm-hmm. of the earth and the, and 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 all the beings in it. Um, how to get in touch with that whole seeing things like that? I look at people, for instance, that are morbidly obese, and I used to kind of look at them and go, "God!" And now I I feel compassion, and I feel like I want to help them. And I and I it's frustrating when I can't because most people I can't because I'm not going to go up to somebody and give them advice if they didn't ask for it. But I see I see people who are addicts. I see people who are in pain. I don't see somebody who's a pain in the ass because they have to buy two seats on Southwest. I see that as somebody who's suffering from immense pain and needs help like mm-hmm. any, any addict. And it's um, just a way of looking at that and being present to that moment. It's not like, you know, a criticism. Right. Stance. And I think it's it's drawing a distinction between somebody's, you can call it higher self, and and then behaviors that are not in that person's interest uh-huh. that sort of run amok uh-huh. because of addictive patterns right. or habit or what have you. It's sort of like when you're in a road rage incident and that's not your normal, that's not kind of who you are, but you just react and you yell at somebody and you go, Oh my God, that's not me. Why right. did I do that? Right. You know, your higher self is saying, well, the real me or the real me, I guess, you know, wouldn't do that. And yes, I'm, I'm lacking control or self-control over my behaviors because of X, Y, and Z. Right. And just having knee-jerk reactions to things is a good barometer of how present you are. Because if you're present, you can say, oh, it's interesting that I'm feeling angry Anger. right now. And I have, a cho- I have a choice. Right. Like, am I going to go crazy right now? Or am I going to kind of pause and just observe it and make a different choice? And right. that's a mastery. You know, it's a mastery over your domain and it's understanding that 
you can draw a distinction between your thoughts and who you are. They're yeah. just thoughts or they're just emotions. That's right. But my consciousness or my better self or my higher self or whatever you want to call it, it gets back into words and phrases right. that, that really trip people up because it triggers this kind of new age resistance or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just, but everybody knows like, oh yeah, you know, I thought that, but it wasn't that weird that I thought that because that's not the way I usually think. Right. And you can kind of analyze your own thoughts. So. Yeah. Right in there, you can see a dichotomy between consciousness and thought or That's consciousness right. and emotion. That's right. And there is a starting point um, from which you can grow into having control over those things, I think. At least that's what I've learned and, can, and I'm trying to continue to learn. Uh -huh. um, but for somebody who, who might be listening and these are brand new concepts for them or they're having a resistance to even hearing this, uh -huh. I mean, what are... Are there some sort of simple entry-level elementary tools or things that somebody could carry with them uh, to start working on this? I mean, one thing that my wife always tells me to do, which I should probably do more of and I don't, is to have a rubber band around my wrist. And every time I think a negative thought or snap I it. react to something without being mindful, yeah, I snap it. Right. And it's, a, it's like a Pavlovian, you know, reminder of, you know, I, I, could, I have a choice. Right. I don't have to perceive this as negative. Right. I can make a different choice. Yeah. Well, I'd say two things. One is I, I actually would say in the moment of, 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 of mindfulness, in, in that example you said where, you know, you're feeling the anger. And I would almost go so far as to say, there's really not even a choice there because at the point where well, it so becomes so over consuming yeah. at yeah. the point where you're so mindful that you are aware of the anger, you've made your choice. You're not going to act on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're there, you're in the place, you know, you're in the place of just, well, that's that. And here I am. And you're not acting on it because you're, you're, you're watching, you're paying attention already. So you you're there, which is mm -hmm. a great thing for people who it sounds next level. It sounds weird in a way, but so does eating plants to most people, you know, and, and right. that's why it's like, what? That's just like crazy. And I think that, that, that you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's going to take me, I'm not there, you know, and it's like, well, you can put a cucumber in your mouth, you know, um, in the mindfulness thing, I, I'm a big journaling fan. They could just pretend it's something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a <laughs> cucumber Mac. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, but I think journaling is a great thing. And I talk about in the book. So, um, to me, I always break it down in the book in the, into the littlest steps, and I think journaling is powerful. And I say, um, if it's if it's about putting a uh, you know a sticky pad and a pencil in your pocket today, because that's all you can do, do do that, and don't even write on it. You know, just have mm -hmm. it in your pocket because when you feel it in your pocket, you are aware in that moment. You go, well, I got that sticky pad on it, and eventually you might pull it out. And you might write a word on there. You know, angry. Or you might write a word that says blue, who, whatever, whatever it is. And that just might start the process of writing things down or of thinking about writing things down. And, and then all of a sudden you're a person who maybe texts one last time that day because you had a thought and that you wanted to get on paper. And then you realize that your thoughts are, are as wonderful as anybody else's thoughts. And, and, or maybe you use that paper to draw a little picture with a pencil. You know, you don't have to... I think people get, they want to, I'm totally guilty of this too. In the past, I've totally done this where I find some exercise program and I just go balls out, you know, get all the gear and the whole thing and, and, and then burn out again. And it's, mm -hmm. I think that's our inclination is we want that high of that excitement of a diet or a, or a exercise plan. But sometimes, or it's, if I'm going to write something down, I better be, you know, 
I better be Norman Mailer when yeah, I write it. Oh down. yeah, it's you gotta be no, brilliant you, and you need witty. A laptop, and, first yeah, of all, right? You yeah. need a, yeah, and you, it's gotta be awesome, you know. And there's the judgment, you know. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, it, not sometimes, it is the process, you know. And it, you have to start and 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 to get to that point. And so, so in answer to your question, anybody looking listening to this right now, get up, go get a piece of paper and stuff it in your pocket. Don't even worry mm-hmm. about a pen. And that's a that's a step because that's just something that you're gonna do, an act of taking care of yourself because it's the intent of I'm gonna start expressing myself in this way. And the more I express myself over time, if I build on this, the more I express myself, the more I get things that are in my mind out onto paper in a way that I can look at them and kind of see where conflict conflict exists that maybe I didn't even know. Maybe I hate my job and I didn't even realize it. I've just mm-hmm. been doing it for so damn long. And maybe I realize I'm not happy in my relationship and I need to, to work on that in a real way. Maybe I, how do you know, you know, but start today to little, little things. And this is really, I can't stress enough. It is not, you know, hippy dippy. This is, being a human being in the modern world, this is, if we're going to work as a species in the, in, in the world that we've created for ourselves, we have better figure out a way to coexist in a, in a, in a better manner, in a more respectful manner, in a more coexistent manner than we do currently. And it ain't getting better. And so I think part of it is how can, instead of, you know, writing a letter to your congressman, which I'm not opposed to, but I do think it starts in your body and your mind. And I think that, that the act of taking care of yourself is going to eventually lead to, you know, my dad is asthma free. He did that because I started taking care of myself. Plain and simple. Cause finally he was like, all right, what do I do? But mm-hmm. he wouldn't have said, all right, what do I do? My mom wouldn't be, you know, in the best shape she's been in, in years. If I didn't do what I did, I didn't call them and go, here's what you guys should do. You know, right. I just said, I'm doing this, you know, and I, my asthma went away and he had asthma too. And he was like, all right, what do mm-hmm. I do three years ago? And it's he, the difference between attraction and promotion and standing in the light and attracting those people into you that are kind of on the, you know, they're, they're, they're ready to resonate in the way that you are and you will bring those people into your life at the, at the opportune time. Yeah. But if you go and say, you, you know, I think there's an inclination it's very human to, and I've seen this a lot with people that have embraced this way of living or eating and have experienced dramatic turnarounds in their health and their perspective of the world. And you want to share that. Right. And then you want, and then you're frustrated when everyone's not on board and then you, you start to get, you get, you get hardened and then you get angry and then it, and then you become entrenched and then you (laughs) resentful and all these, you know, you can see the cycle going on and on and on as opposed to, Hey man, I'm just over here doing my thing. Right. If you're into it, that's cool. I'm happy to talk to you about it. If yeah. not, like, hey man, good. That's great. You yeah. know, it's, I'm totally it's all good. I mean, you know I've I mean? done, I've gone through that exact thing, you know, and it's hard. And that's something that I work on for myself to sure. be aware of that in the moment. I interviewed um, this guy Gene Bauer who started the farm oh, sanctuary. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I've met um, him. I did a little radio interview series, and 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 I asked him. I was like, "How do you, you know?" knowing what you know about what's going on right now as we're talking, you know, in the industry and all the good that you've done, but how do you get up every day and just go like, like, I know, how do you not go bomb a, you know what I mean? Like, I don't right. even, it's like, how can that, and he goes, I just wake up and I go focus on the good that we're doing and how much better things are than they were. And and that's all I can do because mm-hmm. otherwise, if I think about all the stuff that's going on at this moment, I would never get out of bed, kind of thing, you know. 
And so you, he just does what he does. You know, he can't, there's only so much you can do. And as much as I'd love everybody to start eating really well and feeling really good for my own sake, cause I'd love to live in that world. Um, and I'd love my kids to grow up in that world. Um, I can't, you know, and no, so and, and it's also do. recognizing the ego component in that. Yeah. Like I'm going to be the guy who's going to get all the, you know what I yeah, mean? No, I can't. And it's that. just share your experience yeah. and somebody comes to you and they want help and you're able to help them. Then, Hey man, if that's all that it is, then that's, it's, it's that's fantastic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm happy in that, you know, right. but, but, but I have moments, you know, where I'm like, of course, the love of God, you know, your kid is well, you overweight can, and you're, you know, and you know better, you know, and uh-huh. I, especially when it comes to kids, it breaks my heart sometimes, you know, but I got to, I, I shut my mouth. You and know. you pull your journal out and start writing. I pull my damn sticky pad out it's of my sticky mouth. Pad. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit more. Um, I'm always advocating on the podcast journaling and I talk a lot about the artist way. Mm. Uh, and that's Which a program is so funny. I've done I have to just interrupt times. you because yeah. there were so many times where I read your book. Um, that I was like this, my, and even my wife was like, this is eerie. Cause there was literally things you said like potato chips and French fries are vegan. And that's another right. reason why I don't mention vegan because vegan and healthy don't necessarily mean the same sure. thing, you know? Um, and then, the, and then the artist way, I quote that in my book too. When I was, you, do. you, know, uh-huh. you know, doing the band full time, I was, I used the artist way. I mean, I was doing three pages every morning for yeah. years, you know? And it was so funny when you, when you went, I was like, God, Lisa, look at this. Like it's, again, you know? Yeah. I can't, uh, I can't overemphasize the impact that that program has had on my life. Me too. And it, again, it's not a hippy dippy thing. It's like you get up in the morning and you write three pages, yeah. no matter what you yeah. journal it. Even if all you write is, I don't want to write right now. Yeah. I have nothing in my mind. Yeah. And you just repeat that like yeah. a, like a kid who's in trouble on the chalkboard. Yeah then you fulfilled that duty for the day. Um, But it has been remarkable in kind of unlocking my unconscious mind. And I don't know that I ever would have written a book had I not done the artist way, or I don't know that I would have ever made these kind of life changes that I've made without doing the artist way. So it's not about being an artist or being creative. And again, it gets back to labels. It's like, well, I'm not a creative person. I'm not an artist. That's not for I'm me. I'm a bad drawer. Yeah, know, or, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Julie was talking about that on the podcast the other day. So it's about understanding that we are all, uh, you know, expressing creativity in our lives, artists or not. Right. And I think that we can live a more fulfilling, happier more balanced life if we are more expressive of what that natural creativity is. Totally agree. Um, Again, releasing yourself from the strict definition of those terms, what, you know, no matter what your job is or what have you. So the simple practice of, of doing this writing, you know, no computer, we're not talking about a keyboard, get rid of that, but the tactile experience of pencil on paper unlock something and you will find, you know, when you're on page two and a half of those three pages that you got to write in the morning, you start writing about something just like you said that you weren't even aware of that Mm -hmm. comes out. And then you're like, oh my God, I didn't even think about that. And that's exciting. And then that creates a little bit of momentum that sets you on a tiny little bit of a trajectory tweak in your life. And when you start doing that consistently, your life changes in huge ways. I agree. And so. if you don't have time for three pages, one paragraph. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, right? Yeah, because it's it, better to do it than to not do it right. at all. Right, and sometimes I advocate also that once in a while do it with the intent that you're going to throw away the paper or burn the paper afterwards. Mm-hmm. Talk about powerful. Yeah. You know the nobody will ever read yeah, that yeah, yeah. ever, period, and you burn it afterwards, the stuff that will come out on that paper. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, and I did that when you know back in, when I was living in Los Angeles and you know, doing the band, you know, the band was active and... and um, 
you know, being in my studio, I would just, I'd always go in when I do my writing. First thing I do is three pages. And I would just kind of get the juices flowing, get, get everything kind of moving and moving and moving. And sometimes that would just lead into a song, lead into something, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like, and I dabbled in short story writing and, and not because I was good or bad or what. I mean, it was like, I want to do this exercise of creativity. I want to just see what that goes. I was, op- I, be- I basically became open to more creativity. And I guess that's what I advocate for, that it's not a good or bad any, any anything like that it's just when you when you understand that creative creativity is is natural to us as a species and i would argue that for sure the way our minds work is very creative the way that we can just figure things out the way that we can to to add more of that in in mm-hmm. whatever medium is going to be excellent for you look at kids look what kids naturally do of course that's what before the do. filters are imposed yeah and I think to be clear, I mean, you're somebody who, you know, I think a listener might say, yeah, but, you know, he's a musician and he's an actor. He's a naturally creative person. And, you know, I'm a triathlete and an investment banker. And, you know, I read spreadsheets all day long and that's just not for me. So, again, it goes back to the label. It's sort of regardless of what your avocation is or your interest And I've said this before. And I apologize if you heard me say it because I don't, I don't want to be a broken vinyl record. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, your life is the expression of your art, no matter what it is. If you're reading spreadsheets all day, then how are you doing that in a mindful way that is, you know, the most expressive, authentic way of doing that for you? If you're riding a bike, you know, whatever it is. And, and I think that the journaling is a way to, um, connect with yourself in a different way and learn something about yourself and maybe unlock or discover an interest you didn't know that you had that you could then explore that you didn't even know was missing that will make your life more fulfilling. Yeah. And I would say if you're crunching numbers and doing all that and it's, it's a, you know, mind numbing exercise, you know, getting home and, and taking, if it's just one minute, to write something before you pop on the television because you're exhausted. But if you can do one minute of, of just writing a sentence down and mm-hmm. expressing something, you know, and I think I always come back to that because I think taking people think that taking on something like that is just too momentous and we we're tired. I'm tired. You know, I I'm busy. You know, we don't have childcare. We're, we're raising a family, you know, and taking care of a family and working full time at the same time. It's, it's a lot of busyness, you know, and, Sometimes it's, you know, my wife just talked about the other day. She never was a runner ever. Um, couldn't stand it. But one day I got home from work like about like four or five, six months ago. And she goes, I ran down the driveway to get the mail and back. Uh-huh. I was like, you what? She goes, I ran down the driveway to, and I just got, I just, I was going to get the mail and I just ran and it felt really good. Uh-huh. And that's just where she started. It was uh-huh. like, she was going to get the mail anyway. Right. So it didn't take any more time out of her day. You it know, took less it, time. It took less. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's where it started. And six, she's been running for six months now. Uh-huh. You know, never, I've been married 18 years. She couldn't stand running. She tried now and then just never liked it. You know, it's always yoga and she right. loves yoga and she still does, but we don't have the time. She doesn't have the time to go to an hour and a half yoga class. Right. Mm-hmm. So she runs and now she, and she did that. She goes, I basically did exactly what you, what you advocate, which is I just, I started with like this minute thing, but it just planted the seed. Planted the seed, right? Planted the seed. And bringing creativity to whatever you do is such a, a life-enhancing act. I don't care if you're a construction worker, a lawyer, 
or an accountant or whatever. You can be creative. You have time. You can take a minute to do whatever. Right. What if you're a self-loathing couch potato, unemployed? Then you probably have some awesome paintings (laughs) that are are in your head right now. (laughs) And you should get them out. That's true. Self-loathing is a good place Mm -hmm. to start. Right. Some of the best arts come from self. The bigger the pain body. My entire record, first record was self self loathing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that. <laughs> cool uh, man. Self titled. All right. Well, I think we did it. Did we do it? What else you want to talk about? We don't. Nothing. We can keep going, man. No, 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 I got nothing. Do I have anything? No, I got nothing. We got um, we got to save something for Wednesday night. That's right. We should announce that. Yeah, we it? should. This probably won't come out. Uh, well, I'll now. put this up Wednesday. This will probably, yeah, this is going to go up on Wednesday, so the day of. So if you're listening to this right when it came out and you're in Los Angeles, Sid and I are going to be doing an event called Book Plates at the Park La Brea Theater um, where we're just going to sit on a stage and talk about book stuff, right? I guess I have actually no idea I don't know. what we're doing. And, and there was a very impressive-sounding moderator whose name escapes me right now who's, gonna, who's supposed to be moderating this. So are we going? Like are you and I arguing? Sound? I don't think so. No, really? I think, but I, this guy sounds like he's smarter than both of us together. That doesn't and surprise I, me. <laughs> <laughs> well, any and and uh, I guess we should say we met um, through uh, this guy Tyson Cornell, who's an amazing guy here in Los Angeles. Who uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he worked at book soup right uh for years and years and years which if you're in la you're aware of because it is the you know the spot for uh book lovers in los angeles and kind of the epicenter for the for the block the literary culture of southern california uh and he curated these sort of parlor evenings where amazing literary talent would come to book soup Mm -hmm. and they would have these sort of round table discussions and what have you. And as a result of that, he's sort of integrated himself into that culture and he since moved on and he started a literary agency called rare bird lit, um, where he represents writers, um, and does publicity for them and helps them get out there. And, And I met, I met Tyson, uh, through our mutual friend, Anna David last year, um, and he's been very gracious and trying to help me, you know, get my book out and giving me great advice and, and he's working with Sid. So he suggested that, that we get together and then I did your radio show. Yep. Yeah. And then he's put us together on this panel thing for right. Wednesday night, which right. should be fun. Right. So anything yeah, that Tyson, Tyson does, who's also, who's also a musician. I know. I saw him Who play. rocks like, out. He you totally know? <laughs> rocked out. God. I was like, He's wow. cool. Yeah. Super you know? cool. Yeah. Super um, cool. Talk about, you know, pushes books and publicity and all the kinds of, but he's also a musician, you know, and he's exactly. he does all that kind of stuff. And a fascinating, uh, very smart guy with a really cool uh, personal life story. Yeah. Uh, actually, I should have him on the podcast. I know, you know seriously. He'd, right. be, he'd be really he cool to be. have he's on. He's done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Can I mention one last thing? No, we're going to, we're going to, I want you to promote all your stuff. Well, okay. About all your stuff. I was just so going to do, that, do but, that real quick just to kind of. But while you're in LA, what else are you doing? Or do you have anything, any other. Just be, for people out there, wherever you're traveling over the next couple I weeks be, or months. Yeah, probably in the West Side, Tyson's got some bookstores lined up for me to visit and pop in. I don't have anything formal, so best thing to do would be to check my, um, either follow me on Twitter uh, at Sid Garza Hillman or mm-hmm. go to my website, which is transitioningtohealth.net, and I'll have anything added. But otherwise, I'm kind of, I had I had a thing last, uh, yes, uh, Saturday down in Redonda Beach, and then I have the thing with you and me right. on Wednesday. And um, If you have any links for any of that stuff, just email them to me, and I'll put them in the show notes for the 
podcast oh, okay. episode. Awesome. When I put and it up then, tomorrow. Um, I guess if somebody was interested in the music, it's the um, the shq.com. The, it stands for the Sid Hillman Quartet. Ah, I, I haven't checked that out. Yeah, I have so to check that, that out. It actually just got redone. And um, so it's kind of interesting. The writing of the book, I've been off music for a couple of years, just kind of got burnt um, after being in LA for so many years. But now it's I'm kind of back. You know, the band's got a new album that we've finished and mastered, and we're going to probably put it out in this year which is ah, interesting so cool. i'm kind of like it was i wrote right. a, i wrote a health book and then i now i'm thinking about music again right yeah my music again <laughs> totally weird the way that that is life happens and i run a um i'm the programs director for a wellness center up in mendocino called the mendocino center for living well at the stanford inn and mm-hmm. um so if anybody's up that way mendocino county is a great i want to get you up there so we'll talk off yeah about i would that. like to but i want to get you up there and, check and it talk out. about maybe doing a retreat or something like oh, that that'd be great there. Well, i think it would be super cool it's um talk about getting back to the natural and there's a bunch of great trail running and, and all sorts mm-hmm. of cool stuff it's a um, the stanford is a vegan resort the only one mm-hmm. in the country i think um and there's I a rest- whole plant restaurant there wow. which is phenomenal so called ravens and so um that's it that's pretty cool yeah so it's interesting so what i like about one of the many things i like about you is that you're doing all the you're pursuing the music you wrote a book you were an actor you are you know a nutritionist and you're you're at this wellness center you're doing all these things so if somebody says to you hey sid nice to meet you like what do you do like who are you you know you're not um kind of like my wife is similar she's doing all sorts of different things um transcending this idea of you know you do one thing i'm a lawyer and that's Uh who i am and my job is my identity and all of that so i'm interested in your perspective on that like again it gets back to this theme of labels that we're talking about right i um first i just want to be clear that i do all those things and still um live paycheck to paycheck so that's the first thing and secondly and like, yeah but you're doing you're pursuing things that interest you and you're yeah. finding a way to um you know move through life with those being you know that being your kind of bifurcated vocation I yeah suppose. i think what happened is early on like i said i i think you know working at ucla and having the safe job and it was that sort of break where i i quit and became a full-time actor that really opened me up to i just became it was a I look back now and go, well, that was the moment because I became this person who was open to just about anything, you know, and I was, and, and so acting, okay. I had never acted before and I was like, this is, uh, this seems fun, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it was nerve wracking and scary and I did it anyway and, and, and music and, and then all of a sudden I was, I started, you know, found the Stanford Inn and was like, I think I want to be a nutritionist. You know, I was like, all right, fine, go, you know, be a nutritionist. Right. We didn't even talk about that. Like where, where this leap suddenly occurred. Well, I was vegan when I moved to Mendocino. We found the Ravens restaurant. My wife's like, we have, there's a vegan restaurant in Mendocino. I was like, oh God, we got to check that out, you know? And um, so we went down there and I was like, this place is awesome. And, and we actually moved up there. I'm also a letterpress printer. Like we moved up, my wife's a graphic designer. We started a letterpress company and, and left from LA so that I could we could print up there. That's very hipster of you. Yeah, right. And I still I can still do that, <laughs> you know. And 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 so um, yeah. So we found this restaurant, and I and this is gonna this is like so it's so funny. My life is so f- hilarious in, in to me. But I thought I gotta work at this restaurant. This is awesome. And so what I did is I went back. This is six years ago. Went back to school and became a bartender. 
became a certified bartender. Just so you could work at this restaurant? Because I loved, I was like, this is the coolest place ever. It's like an eco resort and awesome. And they had a beautiful bar. But you were living in LA at the time no, and you would I just moved. visit? Oh, I you moved. had moved. I had moved. But you had moved, you, you had already, you had already left acting then? You yeah. were, you, so you I mean, were going to be. Still, but I was, I, we, I was out, out of You're out like, of I'm out of LA. Yeah, I'm out and of what, LA. And what was that about? Like, why were just, you? I just, just we got just done with it. Okay. Done with it. Uh-huh. Done with it. 20 years. Hadn't really played in LA much, toured, you know, done tours, and I got burnt on playing LA. So the band mm-hmm. was like, what are we doing? I was like, I don't know. I just don't want to play in LA. It's too stressful. I don't, I don't like it, you know? And then acting, the work started to slow down to where I was just doing commercials only. And I was like, this is not, you know, talk about right. the grass is always greener. I'm making a living as an actor and unhappy because I'm doing a FedEx commercial, you know, and, 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 uh, or calling back on one. And um, <laughs> that's a funny, do I have time for a quick story? Yeah, you know? of course. Well, there was a, the last this one. This isn't radio. One this of the last, I know, really. Ridge, we are cutting in four <laughs> seconds. Um, the, one of the Back last, you with her. One of the, la- the one of the last auditions I ever did, we were thinking about moving, and I, it was a FedEx callback. I didn't actually get the commercial. And I went there, and, and never before, I'd been acting full-time for over 10 years at that point, never before had there been a wardrobe stylist at an audition. But there was on this one, it was a callback for a caveman part. And so there I show up and I, and I walk in and, and I check in and she goes, okay, you're, there's a wardrobe style. So you got to get into wardrobe. And I was like, this is an audition. She goes, mm-hmm. yeah, I know. But the client wants to see everybody in, 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 you know, what they look like, right. Yeah. They couldn't imagine apparently. Right. And so there I walk over. They weren't doing their morning pages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I walk over to this wardrobe stylist and they have a full wardrobe stylist there with racks of clothes. And I'm putting, and I, by this point, like, I think we'd, we we started looking like we were getting ready to move. Like it, I couldn't mm-hmm. take it. This and, is like, and, the, but you're like, <laughs> yeah. And so we, um, so I'm there. I am, and I'm putting on a caveman outfit, like a Fred Flintstone, like a thing mm-hmm. with a with a wig, you know, and right, uh, like the Geico commercial guy, it's, or whatever. It's, yes, and yeah. it's predated that. I mean, this right. was in 2006, and 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 I'm putting this thing on for a callback, and I and I, in my head, involuntarily, I said to myself. I heard my voice say, I am so fucking out of here. Mm-hmm. And that was the last audition I did. I said, I can't, I just can't, can't do it. It was like, I can't do it. And mm-hmm. so we put the house up for sale and then that was that. And we, and we left. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I like being down here now, but for the first couple of years, I didn't even want to come to LA. I was just so burnt on the whole thing. Right. But um, this was before you were pursuing nutrition. But yeah. So you I started just, working so at the you, restaurant you as moved a up server north bartender. Just a, right. Printing. Mm-hmm. That's it. But being in that, talk about just being open to being weird stuff. Being in that environment. I mean, it's so weird, Started you know? interested yes, in that. Yes, and then I met mm-hmm. the owner. We became friends. We're talking, blah, 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 and I'm learning, and I've been reading on nutrition for 20 years. Just wasn't a nutritionist, but ever since right. 92, reading book after book after book. So he and I had read the same books, and I thought, I'm going back to school. I'm doing this. So mm-hmm. I did, and that was that. Right. So what's next? I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe a, you know, a you can't don't don't limit your <laughs> don't yeah don't don't limit it it will be something you can't imagine i'm yeah, sure right right but i like being open to whatever happens that's what it's that about way. and that's what it's about it's not about what you do but just being open to that kind and of again stuff. that's not easy that that is the warrior path man yeah. you know yeah but oh. uh but i wanted to thank you rich because you've been um really supportive of the book from even before oh, yeah. we met. Well, and, I love and, the uh, book. I really appreciate that because it's, it was such a huge, it's a little indie squirt, you know? So, um, it's nice to, that was really nice that you did you do the, uh, the, the letter pressing on it yourself? No, that's my, no, it's no, it's not letterpress. I or wish I could have letterpress that, that. Did your uh, wife do the graphic my design? My sister did for the, the graphic design. She's my wife's uh-huh. partner. Oh, and cool. So they, they work together and uh, they have a design firm and, and so she does design that, but it's supposed uh-huh. to be, a, I mean, it's, 
the publisher wanted it. He, he, when we were talking about how the book would look, he said, you know, I've got this reissue of the communist manifesto on my desk and uh -huh. it's this little, and he sent me the measurements and my book is exactly those measurements. Like he, we, he envisioned, and I was like, loved it having a little manifesto a little right. approaching the natural health manifesto you know it's a hip pocket it right you put it in, in your pocket, pocket because it is fit. a different yeah it has different dimensions yeah i didn't want book. it to be this diet book with a picture of a squash on right. the cover you know it's, and seven days to you yeah. know blue skin or whatever it's, whatever, it's sticking know? out of your back pocket as you're walking across the campus of kent state that's exactly what it is <laughs> Exactly right. what it is. Yeah. How has your experience been in the world of publishing? Um, talk about, you know, in, in some ways it's a lot like music, you know, cause we, I was always a, you know, we had in very independent labels put out our records and, and, um, and so the, you know, the mystique of going on tour is dispelled when you're on tour. You're just like, I'm just driving to the next show. It just happens to be a longer mm -hmm. drive, you know, but it's not as, it's not as glamorous as you are, you know, when you haven't toured and you go, I'm, I'm going to go on right. tour, you know, and then I was on tour going, God, I really want to get home, you know, <laughs> and, and as much as, as, and it was also fun too, but still, but you know, I did this thing on Saturday at this bookstore and it was like an author meet and greet. And there's like six authors, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm walking in with my box of books and I see another dude five feet from me walking in with his box of books. And I'm yep. like, you know, we're like published authors. You're like Willie Loman. It's, it's like, yeah. it is. It's, I was just like door to door salesman, you know, yeah. like here I am I'm walking and selling my wares, you know? So that's kind of a, um, it's only just when you get behind the veil. Yeah. And I don't know if you've you ever read Tom Robbins. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The, the skinny legs and all it's like the veils, you know, you remove that veil and it's like, Oh, this is, there's no glamor here. It's cool. I'm glad right. I wrote the book and I'm you know proud of it, but, um, it's just, you know, you got to hustle. You it know, is interesting. Get, get out, and, you know. you know, my book is with a big publishing house yeah. and I had certain, you know, uh, projections of, of what I thought the kind of release would look like mm -hmm. and what I'd be doing. And, 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 and those met up in, in, in certain ways, but I completely underestimated the Willie Loman aspect uh -huh. of it. You know, I was like, all right, well, they're going to send me my itinerary of all the bookstores that I'm going to be going to, and I'm going to get on a pl jet plane uh -huh. and I'm going to fly around the country yeah. And, yeah. and shake a bunch of hands. Yeah. And like you see in the movies, the guy yeah. who's signing books and there's a big line, you know? Oh yeah. Out the door. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, um, and not to discredit crown cause they did a great job and they had marketing people that were helping me and, and, and who are really nice people. And, and in the grand scheme of things, I had a very good experience in the world of publishing, but you have to take responsibility for it oh, yeah. yourself. And yeah. I had to, you know, and, and my publicist was great too, but, but I had to, you know, really take the initiative yeah. and go, Hey, I want to go here. Like, and then start calling people and yeah. make it happen myself yeah. and yeah. go to bookstores where six people showed up and one person bought a book and, right. and do all that. And you don't, you don't realize that that's really part of it. And, and you have to buy the books yeah. and then go and sell them, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's the same thing as music. You yeah. know, I, the label would show up and give me records on tour and I'd buy them. Yeah, or my records, but I bought them and then I'd sell them and then whatever's left. You know, right. And you think, well, the, the publisher them. bought the book. They uh, technically they own the book. It's their book. Oh, so, you know, so it's sort book. of like, well, well, no, I mean, I did a deal with a, I signed a contract with Crown. Uh -huh. So they, you know, like the copyright is mine, but yeah. it's like, it's their book. Exactly. They paid me in advance. So right. they want to recoup that advance. Then you, there's an incentive That's for right. me to get out and hustle. Right? right. So it's sort of like, all right, well, you help, have to help me sell your book. And they're like, yeah. No, actually, that's your job. Yeah, you know, like for the most part. Yeah, it is, and I mean, luckily, I had that experience as an indie musician. I mean, I was like, right. I'm not sitting here. 
You know, and also, I you know, I, I and you go to those bookstore bookstores and a, only a couple of people show up and you're like, oh, well, this is why publishing, you know, like, what are they going to do? Spend thousands and thousands of dollars to fly you all over the place right. and put you up in hotels. So like four people yeah, can show no. up and it doesn't make business sense. Yeah, so yeah, I understand right. why they don't do that. Yeah. And I'm not a guy who shows up at book signings. So uh -huh. I'm like, you know, I can't like begrudge, you know, other people for not showing yeah. up unless they're good friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah I, know, I mean, I mom, calling you all your friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, you have to get out there. You really you know, do. And it's, it, and it's yeah. hard and it's, it's work. You know, I put as much work into the marketing as I did into the writing, you yeah. know, it becomes a job and, and, yeah. uh, and it's fun. It's great, you know, and you have to be, um, there, there are worse jobs. Shameless. Yeah. You there are worse jobs. Very shameless yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. You do. But that's so. why it's great having guys like Tyson. Cause he's, he's not a slick, you know, not hey, at yeah, all. Not deal at maker. All. You know, he's not just like, all. yeah, let's have some good ideas. And I mean, he was like, do a radio thing where you're the host. I was like, well, how does that promote the book? He's like, right. because you're, you're, it's your name. You're out there, and then I'll promote the book by right. virtue of you being out there. You know, I never would have thought of that in mm -hmm. a million years. You know, mm -hmm. so pretty interesting. What do you think I'm doing this podcast for? I know, right? <laughs> finding <laughs> ultra, the, the finding ultra podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about you and how much you like me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right, man. Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, getting together again with you on Wednesday. Yeah, night. me too. So it should be good. Cool. So if you happen to listen to this immediately upon it being uploaded to iTunes, then, and you live in Los Angeles, Park La Brea Theater, I'll put a, a link to the event. I tweeted it today, which is Monday. Um, but if you didn't see that, I'll put a link in the show notes and, uh, the book is approaching the natural, what's the subtitle again? A, a, a colon, a health manifesto, a health manifesto. Yeah. Um, That's so everybody needs Just, yeah. to check it out. Yeah. Check out the book and it's cheap on Amazon too. I think it's nine ninety five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted, I mean, I just wanted it to be like, right. accessible. It's very, yeah. yeah it, it, and it is accessible. It's really easy to read. Um, you know, in addition to being short, it's very clear, so plain Eng English. Yeah. yeah. And it, it hits on, uh, a lot of important areas of life that you're not going to find in a typical plant-based nutrition book or any plant-based nutrition book, really. Right. Um, so it's unique in that regard. I can't recommend it enough. Thank you. Uh, but I would say that if you are going to go to Amazon, which you will, because I'm telling you to <laughs> go to Amazon first, go to richroll.com and on the blog page. You want to click on that Amazon Amazon banner? There, oh, that goes you? through you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Right. You're gonna click on it. I'm gonna. You? Yeah. Heck yeah! I didn't even know that. And because uh, you're gonna buy stuff on Amazon anyway. Yeah. You're gonna buy Sid's book, but you're probably gonna buy other stuff too. Yeah, like toothbrushes and, and goji berries. If you're if you're an Amazon Prime member, you I could am. buy like you know one you know sort of twelve ounce can of orange I'd juice. Have it shipped for free. Which is yeah, which is not really very in a sustainable. Box that's like or 10 by ten by this 10. is this is not thematically consistent with the message of uh, approaching yeah. the natural. Yeah. But this is called approaching the Amazon. Yeah, approaching the Amazon, <laughs> a manifesto for never leaving your house yeah, and, and living the good life. Shipping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, Amazon, we love you. Yes. But anyway, it won't cost you a cent extra, and it'll throw a couple pennies in our jar. Yep. keep the bandwidth going so Thank I you. can keep doing the podcast for and sure. have Tyson on. Okay. Soon, yeah, I right? think you should. All right, cool. You should. Well, thank you, Rich. All right, man. Thanks for being here, Sid. All right, thanks. All right. See ya. Peace. Plants. Yay!